0: How can curiosity fix polarization? Today on The Curious Task, I speak with Monica Guzman. Welcome to The Curious Task from the Institute for Liberal Studies, where we explore economics, politics, philosophy, and other ideas from a classical liberal perspective. I'm Alex Aragona, your host, and today I'm speaking with Monica Guzman. Monica is a journalist and entrepreneur. She is the director of digital and storytelling at Braver Angels, the nation's largest cross-partisan grassroots organization working to depolarize America. She is the host of the Crosscut interview series, Northwest Newsmakers, and she is a co-founder of the award-winning Seattle newsletter, The Evergrey. Some additional details definitely relevant to our conversation today. She is a Mexican immigrant and a dual U.S.-Mexico citizen living in Seattle with her husband and two kids. And she is the self-proclaimed proud liberal daughter of conservative parents. She says she lives for great conversations sparked by curious questions. So that makes her certainly an ideal guest for The Curious Task. Monica, welcome to The Curious Task.
1: Hey hey yeah! Thank you for having me. And it's Excited great to for have you on. Conversation. Yeah, no. Yeah, thank e- you. Excellent. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Excellent. see, I'm already, I'm already talking over you. That's how. no, that's okay. <laughs> it's good. It's ultimately
0: about getting your thoughts out there, and that's awesome. And I'm, I'm, you're jazzed up. I'm jazzed up. So, so let's get into it, uh, Monica. We base each episode on a question and a theme, and go wherever the conversation takes us. Our question today is: How can curiosity fix polarization? And this is really what your book. I never thought of it that way gets into. Um, but before we get right into the book and all that kind of stuff, and before we get into how to solve the problem, I just want to get your sense of what the problem is in your own words. I mean, we all hear about polarization in many countries now, but some say what's happening in the US is a whole other ball game. I mean, you live there, you work with an organization that's trying to understand and fix the problem. Just how bad is it in the United States? Can you give us a sense of polarization in the US to set our conversation today?
1: Yeah, totally. So, I mean, at the end of the day, to me, the the big problem is that we are so divided, we're blinded. We we know from social science research that the more fractured and the more far apart that different communities of thought get from each other, uh, the more that they judge each other without also engaging each other to check their assumptions with the reality, uh, then the less likely it is that we see each other for who we really are, that we understand the reasons why people believe what they believe, and that we see the debates around the issues that challenge us for what they really are too. So in that sense, we're so polarized we're paralyzed because it affects the way in which we try to build a society where we can all thrive. It affects policy making, obviously. It affects our own... Frankly, our own state of mind and our relationship to the world we're in with, you know, anxiety driving a lot of a lot of fear, which makes us manufacture certainty about the other side or those who might disagree with us. But it all adds up to a culture where collaboration and problem solving is that much more remote, uh, where there might be a lot of pain because of divisions that affect our personal relationships that split up our family Um And, uh, yeah, it just, it leaves us in this state that is not even really justified by what's going on, but is more about sort of our projections of each other, our projections of how difficult and impossible things are when they're really maybe not all that difficult or impossible. So, so it's that it's, it's sort of this, it's this fundamental sort of brokenness, um, that, that makes so many other problems harder to solve, and this is why I believe that toxic polarization is uh is really the like a problem that eats all the other problems right <laughs> something that <laughs> something that makes everything else tougher, but it also means that if we can find ways to address it, if we can find ways to solve it <laughs> uh creatively ourselves and our lives and our communities then it makes the other problems easier to solve as well.
0: Right. I'm actually glad you mentioned that problem that eats other problems quote, because I actually pulled that for my discussion notes today, because I, I found it so interesting that you said that and, and you followed up in your book on that sentence there in the intro with saying, yeah, it's the problem that eats other problems. It's the monster who convinces us that the monsters are us. So like, is it really when you say it's the problem that eats other problems and, and follow up with that? Is is it really just what you said there? What you mean is that polarization itself does affect almost every other issue we seek to talk about uh, and also our relations with people like is that what you mean basically is that it's not just um, narrowly political it's also just affecting everything else
1: absolutely yes uh we see for example in the research into what's known as misperceptions how deeply skewed people's views have become of The other side of whatever issue, you know, they care about. There's um, a really fascinating study from 2019 that that we've seen echoes of in, in other research called the perception gap study. And in that one, they asked folks on one side of the political divide to guess at the views on the other side hmm. you know what do you're a democrat what do republicans think about immigration you're a republican what do democrats think about policing and uh both sides do an, an incredible amount of of exaggeration we we think that there are more extreme views on the other side than there actually are and what i found is when when i talk about these studies i mean heads nod right people recognize already those those skewing influences, um, you know the media that we consume, uh, the way that politicians tend to to talk and characterize issues so that they feel that they can get you know the, the reelected, that they can get their base mobilized. I mean, so much goes toward uh, toward the extremes that it's it's not that surprising that we begin to believe that everything is more extreme than it actually is, but when we do look at it and we look at the data, uh, you know, more clear-headedly, uh, we see that that we're actually not as divided as we think in the actual disagreements. There is more common ground there, um, but uh, due to our perceptions of each other, our misperceptions of each other, we've gotten to a place where we are pretty scared. Right. We are feeling very much under threat,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: that keeps us from approaching each other enough to correct those misperceptions.
0: Right. And, and a lot of people, as far as the misperceptions that you're talking about, you know, blame misinformation ultimately for polarization and how bad things have gotten. Uh, you know, people on the quote-unquote right will blame people on the quote-unquote left for like, you know, everyone basically peddling their own set of what's ultimately misinformation. That's the blame that's always thrown around. But But you seem to think that of course, information slash misinformation is important. I mean, you're not dismissing that. That's what I get from your book. But you seem to think that this continuing idea that someone else is always wrong because they're misinformed by default, like mm. that's a poisonous one too. So I'd like to hear your your thoughts a bit about uh, and elaborate on further about the, this whole idea, like everyone's throwing this misinformation accusation at each other. Because you, again, you seem to think that's important, but also mm-hmm. a, co- a cop out as well.
1: Yeah, no, it it is important what's happened with technology and communication, how easy it is for not just exaggerations, but, you know, flat out like that stuff just isn't true (laughs) to 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 spread and hold. I think that the climate that we're in makes misinformation so much more powerful because we're doing a bad job of listening for and addressing the deep down concerns that people hold that animate how they feel about issues. Right. And so when people have those deep down concerns about where society's headed, but it feels like, you know, the the institutions of media or politics or others aren't really addressing them right. Or, you know, maybe the media is just too far on one side or too far on the other, or just isn't detecting that stuff what can happen is that people end up going wherever those concerns are being heard. And sometimes those concerns are reflected really well in things that are not true, but that contain that concern in their DNA, right. you know, like a conspiracy theory about, I don't know, like pizza gate, right? There, there's this awful thing going on with politicians that are, who are like killing each other and scheming and doing all these awful things. You know that that is animated by a concern about how much we can trust the state <laughs> right and a concern about corruption. And so yeah, it just it, it's it's easy for folks to feel that well, if their concerns aren't aren't really heard, if they aren't able to talk about these things because everything is sort of you know scary and too extreme, then bad actors can step in pretty easily right and exploit that. So, so I find that, you know, bad actors thrive in incurious cultures. Misinformation thrives in an incurious culture, a culture that is too afraid to see itself. And so people end up having to go to some dark spaces to feel heard. Right. And and that's that's kind of the deeper problem.
0: Yeah. In, in other words, if if people are shutting the doors to having conversations and being curious, as you said, then people are going to go to where these conversations are being had. And if it's a limited space of, let's just say, bad actors over there, well, that's where the conversations being had.
1: Exactly. And we know from research that goes back a while that when you are talking about your opinion only with folks who share your opinion, your opinion will intensify and the steps you want to take to address your concern will also intensify. So so this is what we're seeing you know our technology and our discursive spaces have made it possible for folks who are very far away from each other you know to still find each other still talk to each other and that's great it's wonderful to form communities of thought uh but when we are so fractured and when we it is so easy to vilify each other or to believe in our conversations as we so often do when we disagree that the other side must be crazy stupid or evil
2: mm-hmm.
1: um when we push each other away to that degree then those Those spaces that might be central, those spaces that might be more responsible, more accountable to the common good that that somehow are able to contain and allow to flow different ideas, but without without so much fear of those ideas right. um, you know when when those get weaker, uh, then these dark spaces get stronger,
0: right. And I think so far we've done a great um, you know, elaboration on your thoughts about what the problem is and polar- polarization and the nature of it. I'd like to s- slowly start pivoting into what you think the cure and, and the way we answer and the how we go about this problem now. So, I mean, at the main theme and the main key word you've even been throwing out here a lot is this idea of curiousness and curiosity. I mean, you say curiosity, specifically curiosity about each other, is the cure for a lot of these ills. I mean, we'll get into some more specifics in a second. Mm-hmm. As I told you before we recorded, I, I do want to ask specific questions about the book and some of the info in there. But in general, let's start at the high level. Why do you think curiosity is the cure? I mean, obviously, at this podcast, we're probably biased towards your opinion, being called the curious task for that reason <laughs> and others. But, uh, but, but, uh, but hearing it from you, like at a high level, why is curiosity the cure? What do you mean by that?
1: Mm uh so several things but to 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 go from where we just were at times of high anxiety it's it's more likely that we will want to manufacture certainty uh even when we shouldn't so what i mean by that is if if there is something sort of confounding you you know let's say it's it's covid and you're going when will the vaccines be available for me or you're going when Will they lift the mask mandates from my kids in schools. This is crazy uh, that That question sort of lives in you, lives in you, lives in you, and you'll want to to check for the answer. you know what's going on, or you might say, "Why do those other people believe something that's so crazy to me and when when that is a stressful thought, um, the moment that you find an answer, maybe it's a, a thought piece by some. Commentary, person, voice, <laughs> and they provide an answer. Here's a statistic. Here's a thought. Because you are anxious to get, because you're so confounded and you are anxious to get that resolved, you will, you will decide that that one potentially quite weak and incomplete thought satisfies that question for you. Oh, that's why. It's because of this. Great. And then you become certain. And you say, aha, I know why these other people believe what they believe. Um, And because of that, I don't need to wonder anymore. So I've decided, and I've decided that those people are not worth my time. I've decided that those people are malevolent. Um, And so that's it. So that's why curiosity is so important, because curiosity holds open the doors that we might otherwise close. Uh, Curiosity is the antithesis of certainty. When you think you know, you won't think to ask. So curiosity is a form of resistance, Um, not resistance to a set of political ideologies, but resistance to the temptation to be certain about things because things are so tense, because, because we're so anxious. Certainty closes off new questions. Certainty makes it easier for us in an already divided time to burn even more bridges, to, to get even farther away from each other. Uh, So It's curiosity that is the antithesis of that. If we are judging each other more while engaging each other less, it's curiosity that makes us go, maybe there's more to the story. Maybe I haven't answered this question all the way. Maybe I do have something more to learn. So then let me go ahead and find a way to engage so that I can learn, so that maybe I correct a misperception, so that maybe I can think or say, huh, I never thought of it that way. So that maybe the volume of everything in my mind and in the society around me can be turned down enough that some of my fear dissipates and some of my, my creativity mm. can enter the frame.
0: Absolutely. And and on, on the flip side, then, in your mind, if, you know, folks have sort of lost interest and curiosity in each other to, to some degree, where it has become damaging, not saying everybody, but lots of people, mm-hmm. and what are we interested in that's filling that void is, is it too much um you know in group patting each other on the back as you suggested before is it too much short form argument and quick win culture online like we see in places like twitter is it a combo of all of the above i mean of course we're not that might that's hours of probably discussion you and i could have but just i want to get your sense of is it just a, a combination or confluence of factors like what, what do you think is really is really um taking up our time really if it's not curiosity yeah. in each other
1: yeah, I mean, well, one thing is, I suppose is it's important just to say and name that uh, we're we're at a time where we feel we're busy, you know, we're scared and we're tired. <laughs> so it's not like we're swimming in open leisure time, you know, to right. knock on each other's doors and, and just hang out. <laughs> Everyone's got so much to do. That's, that's the way we've built our society. It's mm-hmm. the cult of busy. It's everything's got to be productive, you know.
2: And yep, on top agreed. of
1: that. Yeah, on top of that there's this background of these big issues that seem so desperate and also so hopeless and helpless. So it is a combination of what you said. There's a quick win culture that uh comes with nice hits of dopamine and can feel really good. There's the little machines in our pockets that we custom build with, you know, all the all the content and all the voices that we most love uh, the uh, little machines that are so powerful that when they compete with the spontaneity of the world around us for our attention they win uh you know little machines so powerful that, that many people find themselves quite addicted um you know for reasons that we all understand and can relate to right the 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 quick win culture in social media in particular is really pernicious because it's it's changed our ethic Around argumentation and around debate and around disagreement, Uh, social media is the kind of space where you start to believe silly things, silly things like here's a reason that I believe what I believe about some issue and I'm holding it in my hand and it's glittering and beautiful. And all I need to do really, of course, is just hand it to somebody else, just hand it to somebody else and it will change their mind you know it it will change their mind it will have the same impact it had on me and and you see this ethic playing out on social media when people sort of mm-hmm. spread these memes you know memes that simplify an issue so it seems obvious for example i saw a meme this week uh i choose the second grader over the second amendment ah how pristine and beautiful right <laughs> you
0: know? exactly
1: but it simplifies something to a dumb degree and it, it you can you can tell how a meme like that makes it sound like anyone who believes that something in the Second Amendment ought to be preserved or fought for hates second graders and right. wants them dead. Exactly. <laughs> you know? So but but it's that meme culture, those memes drop, they get tons of likes, you know, and so we think, oh, great, let me come up with my own thing. And so we put it out there. And then when it doesn't have the effect that we want it to have, we're left going, well, what's wrong with people? Right. Something's wrong with them. <laughs> and that's where we go to. They must be crazy or stupid or evil. And we begin to play out these scripts online that only affirm our worst suspicions of each other. So so these spaces are not helping. Um, the, the Internet, as I say, is a non-place that makes us into non-people. People are a lot more mysterious and a lot more interesting <laughs> than that. So... Um, Yeah. So so a a big piece of it, too, is how much less time we are spending with each other Mm -hmm. in the in the kinds of exploratory conversations in a context where we are actually seeing each other or at least hearing our voices. Right. right? Like somewhere high on the hierarchy of we are bringing our tools of human communication to this rather than it's just some words and emojis
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, where
1: where where understanding is possible and nuance is uh present so so it's also that and then the very last thing I think is that because we've already been in this sort of maelstrom for some time, it also means that we are deeply uninformed about what is really motivating people on the other side mm-hmm. and we're we're uninformed about the good reasons right the strong arguments we don't even see them uh so so that's a problem because I think if we did see them if we were exposed to some of that we would go huh okay that's interesting you know and then get more creative and, and get more thoughtful um but but our access to the generous arguments and the generous reasons is quite slim uh so we we need to do something to to find them
0: yeah no that that's a lot of great thoughts there and I agree with everything I often say I it feels like a lot of people, because we're so connected in other ways, but not others, um, that mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time interacting, but not relating with each other. That's kind of what I've exactly. been saying recently, is like, there's a lot of interactions and reactions, but whether or not mm-hmm. we're actually relating to each other and seeing each other is a whole different ballgame, right? I think you nailed it. And I, I want to get now into some specific things about the book itself. But before I get right to that, I want to say, ask you more like it's personal question, a story, if it's short or long. I mean, I, I'd like to hear, but what, what got you thinking of this topic specifically obviously I don't mean like in general because obviously you think about it a lot and it's, it's very important to think about but I meant the idea of putting this all together in a book and actually rather than just having a conversation about it like we're doing now which is of course important but actually saying you know what no this needs to be a book what what was really that turning point for you that said light bulb moment maybe or was it a long-term thing how'd you get there
1: yeah uh <laughs> it was a long-term thing in that I remember I just found myself one day opening up sort of a digital notebook and telling myself, I need to start writing some things down. So stuff was going on in the background sometime around 2018, 2019, where where I needed to start writing some things down. The professional thing that was driving that is I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist my whole career. I care deeply about trying to help people understand each other. And I got to the point, it was sort of like a you know, a slowly boiling pot and you don't really realize when it's too hot in there where I realized that if I'm going to help people understand each other as best as I can, you know, in my limited capacity, uh, my, my, my theory was I'll tell stories. I'll tell stories as responsibly as I can in this medium called journalism. And that will, that will help. That will be enough. We the art, our society has a solution and it's journalism. So let's go. <laughs> and, um, and because of the foundational brokenness I was talking about earlier, I, I realized it, it wasn't enough. There's so much fracturing in media itself. Media is one of the least trusted institutions in our society. What in the world? Uh, and 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 there's a lot of, I, I think, there's a lot of denial about some of those, some of the really uncomfortable reasons that might be the case. Some of the reasons that media might earn that distrust. Um, some of the ways in which division has... I I think, you know, affected journalists, just like they affect, it affects everybody else. Um, and so what would it take to help f- folks get closer to each other and, and maybe even sever some of their connections to their preferred media as having all the answers, mm. because it started to feel to me like, no, 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 we've got that wrong. I mean, that only works so long as there is a healthy web of organic relationships across difference that get people to be connected even, even, you know, two or three or four degrees down (laughs) to somebody, right, who, who disagrees with them, but with so much sorting in our world sorting into camps and groups where you're sort of surrounded by like-minded people so much othering where we push away from those who are different from us and so much siloing where we tend to receive information that already comes you know filtered through the voices that we agree with it just felt like that wasn't enough so that was really big um and probably the most um the most personally animating aspect was my own family uh so I'm I'm a Mexican immigrant I'm the daughter of Mexican immigrants and my parents voted twice and pretty enthusiastically for donald trump i voted for the democratic presidential candidates we are a very unfiltered family we always know where we stand on things so there was never really that 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 sense of like well let's just not talk about politics right like no we, t- we talked about it and it got really heated around the 2016 presidential campaign uh i mean you know to the point of some 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 very very loud voices and um scary moments and yet We were able to get to the point where I understood why they voted for someone that that really, really, really bothers me to the extent that I can say that if I were my parents, I would have voted for Donald Trump, too. Um, And so recognizing that and recognizing how difficult it was to get there and yet how clarifying it was and then to look around and and see. So many burned bridges, so much pain, so much suffering, you know, that I could relate to um but then think you know what if 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 people can find their way to these kinds of exchanges meaningful challenging exchanges um it is psychologically hard but it's technically quite simple so if we if we can share some of those technical simple strategies and maybe provide some reframes Uh, around what is psychologically hard, then maybe more people can find their way toward trying, right? Maybe not succeeding, but trying Mm. to understand the other side, whatever is most confounding, not agreeing. That's not, nope, (laughs) not agreeing, understanding, not even persuading. Persuading is sort of like a level up. It becomes a lot more possible when we have established this baseline engagement, you know, way to engage once you understand persuasion becomes possible not before right not before people can only hear when they're heard we cannot skip that anymore because we're just going to draw blood
0: i think that's actually an excellent place to take our break We're, we're about that time right now so let's do it everyone you're listening to curious task i'm speaking with monica guzman today The Curious Task is a podcast from the Institute for Liberal Studies. Feel free to send questions, feedback, guest recommendations, or anything else that's on your mind to curious Task at liberal As always, a huge thanks to our supporters on Patreon, including Chris Rondolo, Christopher MacDonald, and Randy T. Simmons. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at The Curious Task, rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to The Curious Task, and check out the Institute for Liberal Studies. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Curious Task. I'm speaking with Monica Guzman today. So, Monica, I think the first half was great. In the second half, here, I want to get into a few specific questions now about how we can can be more curious and actually see people around us and engage with them differently. That's really what you were getting into towards the the last part of the first half there. So, I think it's a great bridge right into some of the questions I have about the book itself. I sort of came up with a couple of key questions about the different pillars. Um, in the book. So I kind of hope this serves as, like I said to you before we record, a bit of a teaser for those who might want to read more, but also as good podcast questions. So let, let's see if this works. Mm-hmm. Um, the first section of the book talks about how we need to put a check on three things we do. We sort each other, we other each other, and uh, we then we silo. Um, this is really key to understanding the rest of your thoughts on curiosity as well as the rest of the book and I think our conversation today. So you know, can you explain what this means and why it's such an issue at a high level? And of course, I'll always say disclaimer mm-hmm. to our readers. Obviously, there's lots more that you can read in Monica's book, more than we could ever cover here. But giving a taste of it, what are we talking about with these three things here, Monica? And, mm-hmm. and how do we overcome them?
1: Yeah, so it, it, I, I think of it as the SOS, the call for help, uh, sorting, othering, siloing. So the the tricky thing, uh, like like so much that sort of curses us uh, those things also bless us, so I want to be clear about that. These are three forces of human nature that have been with us for a long time for good reason that that are right now also explaining why we are in such a hard place. Sorting is the natural human tendency to be, to want to be around people who are like us. It's how we form friendships. It's how we form communities. It's how we find belonging. It's awesome um it's also called the birds of the feather phenomenon uh or homophily is another name for it but what it's led to now is because of the anxiety and tensions in our world you know politics has become a lot more than just you know something to look at in the headlines it's it's become quite personal for people for very good reasons um and there's a lot of high stakes things that were. That we're, we're debating right now. And things such as, for example, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, you know, giving to the states the ability to set rules around abortion. Well, that means that if you care really deeply about, about the issue one way or the other, you have so much reason to actually decide where you want to live based on that. So we are seeing blue zip codes getting bluer, red zip codes getting redder. Uh, and people making choices about where they're going to be happy and fulfilled based on the politics of those places. So we are sorting to be around like-minded people. Again, a good dynamic, but with, with potentially disastrous consequences because it it takes us even farther away from the potential to discover folks on the other side and why they actually believe what they believe. Then you have othering, and that is the natural human tendency to push off from those who are not us from those who are different from us. And uh, the, the, it's kind of a magical, incredible ability, this way that we make us's and them's, you know, and there's for any one of us, there's so many us's and them's, you know, one of my us's is, I don't know, I'm a Star Trek fan. And then the people over there, they're Star Wars fans. more than They are Star Trek fans. We're different. I push off from them, you know? and and the the research has shown us that our differences don't have to be that meaningful for us to very subtly discriminate very very subtly or at least just think like nah they're not as good as we are um it's it's the silliest thing i even notice it uh you know in my in my son's school there's a, a couple of uh fifth grade classes right and and yeah if i see updates from a fifth grade class that is not my son's class well I'm not as happy about that. You know, right. I'm happy about the updates in my son's class. So it's like, why? It, it doesn't matter. When the differences do matter, you know, when they come with narratives about how that group of people has always kept us down, that kind of thing. Wow. You know, then then we can really get to hate um, and 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 go down that dark road. And then the last thing is siloing. And siloing is about the information that you see or the information you do not see because of what voices you happen to have access to be surrounded by so again that gets to the little machines in our pocket that we have custom built uh to give us not just the information that we you know most prefer for one reason or another but also a whole heck of a lot of information (laughs) um you know enough to fill all our little idle moments like when you're waiting for your pizza to reheat in the microwave well let's check twitter (laughs) right so like constant bombardment with um with the thoughts of others that might provoke us or affirm us or whatever it is but what it means is over time um it accelerates the degree to which our realities start to splinter you know i've spent so much time listening to my voices and you've spent so much time listening to yours that now when we come together and try to talk about some of these tough issues we realize our language is completely different And not only is our language completely different in our vocabulary, but my using this word offends you. And you're using that word offends me. So, wow, you know, siloing makes makes engagement so much harder uh, because when we do try to come together uh, and talk, we we find that it's getting very difficult uh, because we're just not spending that much time, uh, you know, calibrating to each other's attempt to communicate meaning.
0: Excellent. And now I want to move on to sort of actually. Before I, before I do move on, I actually just had a light bulb in my head. So why not share? It seems to me that like that this first part of this book here. And especially the things you're just saying is that before you can actually check this stuff or work on it, like you actually have to be aware of it. And I think oh, that yeah. like even that awareness stage, it seems like when a lot of people are, I, I wrote down your three keywords earlier, a lot of people are just busy, scared and tired, okay. <laughs> as you said. So yep. I think when people are busy, scared and tired, it seems like just the awareness portion of this is a, is a little bit of a challenge to begin with, right?
1: That's right. Exactly. Uh, and and that's the beginning of of curiosity too, because uh curiosity is a craving for knowledge but unlike the more biological cravings like hunger right? right if i'm hungry i'm hungry till i eat i'm not it's hard to distract myself from my hunger with curiosity you can distract yourself from curiosity very easily mm. curiosity is only alive so long as you have your attention on a gap between what you know and what you want to know mm-hmm. there are many ways to artificially fill that gap one of which is to just have an assumption and believe it Right. <laughs> and not notice it's there. If you if you have an assumption and you believe it and you don't notice it's there, you're not able to go, wait a second, that's just an assumption. Hang on, that gap is still open. That gap is still open and I can still wonder and I can still ask. And so long as I still wonder and I still ask, I can still pursue the information and I can still be driven and motivated to find folks who can help me fill uh fill that with real information. Right.
0: And in part two, um, you know, this section ultimately talks about how com- conversation is important and the creating yeah. conditions for helpful and fruitful exchanges. And of course, as I said, the, the listener can should definitely check out that part of the book and, and the specific details. Mm-hmm. But at, at the highest level, you talk about us being able to see people better by talking with them, emphasis on the with, like it's even in italics in the book. So mm-hmm. just for that part, how does this section focus on talking with people? Like, why do you emphasize the with and what exactly do you mean by that? Why is that such like a, a crux in your mind, this with idea?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, the SOS, right, the sorting, othering, and siloing, What it what it encourages among us is talking about other people. It not only encourages it, it makes it lucrative, right? I mean, so much of media, the way that it can get us to really pay attention and to Engage deeply and build loyalty with media brands. One of, a, one of the most just fascinating and effective ways to do that is to say, those people are the enemy. Let's see what they're doing today. Let's see what they're thinking about today. Let's judge them today. And you go to the home pages of a lot of more partisan sites, and that's pretty much what they're doing, <laughs> you know? And so it's a lot of talking about other people um, to the point where you just think, again that w- w- how can they be worthy of of engaging with at all and so you're judging you're judging you're judging and 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 yeah you're you're just you're 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 meeting with your own people you know to talk about those other awful people so so talking about people has become very popular indeed right um and and the only way to check any of that first is to be aware that talking about people is full of assumptions it's just chock full of assumptions and invitations to certainty that are not warranted, right? We don't know them. <laughs> Reading about a group of people is not enough. You don't know them. And, and I, I think we're, you know, again, incentivized uh, in large part because of our media uh, economics, incentivized to believe that it, we do. Sure, we do. Yes, we do, of course. Right. Um, you know, this is the way I know my world is by reading about other people and how awful right. they are. Well, I, think it's, um, I think it's also
0: key to note, sorry to interrupt, <laughs> but it's just I, I completely please. agree with this point, but I, I think it's also key to note that we're, a lot of people aren't reading about other people through, for instance, like, you know, sometimes historically there's people's journals and, like, their personal sure. memoirs. Sure, that's, that's reading about other people from their words. To be more specific, I think it's fair to say that we're reading about other people... Uh, from authors and peoples who have an opinion about those yeah. other people. Sometimes you're two exactly. or three layers removed from actual this other people business or whoever your other is.
1: Exactly. And opinions are great. Opinions are fine, right? But but they need to be checked. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know. So so it's sort of, I, I wrote in the book, I remember just a simple observation that when I was a kid in school, we learned the difference between primary and secondary sources. And right. how important it is to make sure you're going to the primary source. And it's like I remember how important that was. I mean, for my reports, you know, it was like you go and interview your grandma. You know, you don't just write about that generation. Right. Um and so it's the same thing. It's it's why do we why do we have this much confidence when we're not even checking with the primary source? It doesn't make sense. So so that's why you you have to go and talk with people. And in fact, the way you know who you should talk with is by asking yourself the question Who am I talking about, but never with? Uh, and, and, uh, I think the key point here is that whoever is underrepresented in your life will be overrepresented in your imagination. So that's what you have to correct. That's where your misperceptions are going to be really strong and really influential with you. So every, everyone has a different answer to this question. Who do you talk about, but never with, um, That's your mission. Your mission is to try to get closer to the primary source uh, for your for your own good, for for the good of your own understanding of the world you're in, Uh, you know, for the promise of potentially turning the volume down, maybe uh, on on anxiety that that feels really high, because maybe you're one of those folks who feels like, man, I I can't trust my neighbors anymore. They're, They're out to get me. I mean, it. For, for the extreme cases, I think, which are quite prevalent, you know, we're we're living in a, under a lot of daily anxiety, mm-hmm. because we're not talking with people in a way that allows us to see their humanity, and allows us to check those, those boiling hot opinions with, with someone's actual experience.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great segue into the next question I had, because in in part three, when you know, it seems like you're kind of getting into the point that uh, when But if we do finally get a chance to talk with people or get to the primary source, mm-hmm. if you will, of whatever we're thinking about, we, we also have to make sure we're getting past, quote, what you talk about, lazy guesses, pushy opinions, and overwhelming okay. desire to win. Um, you know, and, and your ultimate thing is, look, we got to turn assumptions into questions and opinions into starting points. I think that's a great way to put it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What do you mean by that more specifically? And how do we do that? Because I think this is a huge key to almost everything we've been talking about so far.
1: Yeah. It comes back to what you were saying about awareness. Uh it, it's the, the first step to hacking any of this is to become aware of the assumptions that pop up when we approach people or when we even consider approaching people who are different from us. I mean, that's where you'll see the impact of your silos. Um, you know, like uh you're conservative and you know it's 2021, and you know, you saw the images of burning cities and uh and you're going. As as someone that I talked to, you know, de- deeply believed and was quite afraid of, why would, why would, um, well, he was saying, you know, he, here are a bunch of progressive liberals burning their own downtown, burning businesses, destroying property, uh, hurting their neighbors, you know, who are just trying to make like a buck. Like, how, what is happening, right? And I remember sitting with this man and and hearing the confoundedness that he had about this. But he he did, he didn't even realize he had turned it into a question. How could they burn their own downtown? Um, and it's the way it's framed. How could they burn their own downtown? Isn't really a question. It's a, it's an aggravation, right? Mm-hmm. But you turn it into a question by saying, how could they burn their own downtown? And then what am I missing? You know, is it, what? how could they burn their own downtown? What? why did that feel like it was necessary in the moment? What else was going on? I, I really don't agree with this. I think it was terrible, but what did drive them to that? And, um, and so, yeah, in, in that conversation, once that really turned into a question, you know, we were able to explore potential answers to it that didn't seem like these folks are vandals who just want to destroy everything. It's like, well, they, you know, destroying things is not good, but they're, they were driven to it for reasons that are not as malevolent as, as it appeared. Um, You know, and then that led to a a great conversation too, about the exaggerations about burning cities. I live in Seattle, you know, and it's, it's um, yeah. Even my parents who lived not that far from Seattle uh, believed that uh, things were much worse than they actually were. So that, Mm -hmm. that allowed that allowed an interesting conversation to break open, but but that's really it. It's turning your assumptions into questions. It's using your opinions as starting points. You know, so in a conversation, you can say, "There's this meme that I saw. <laughs> There's this meme that I saw about how you got to pick the second grader over the Second Amendment." And you know, I really resonated with that because for me, I I just I just value life so deeply, and I, I think that guns are really threatening. <laughs> You know the lives of our most innocent people, um but you know how how do you see it? I know that you care deeply about the second amendment, like what what am I missing? You know, and I imagine the other person saying, "Hey, I don't want second graders to die either. Let's be clear you right know? and then you you put that away and then you get into the real stuff mm-hmm. and and this is where this is where curiosity can can lead you to ask the questions you need to ask to get through the the divisions of the day and and start to explore where it really matters right because the more time that we spend in the gun debate believing that the other side wants people dead right
2: right
1: <laughs> or or if you're if you're a conservative believing that the other side wants tyranny to run the world and hates freedom <laughs> you know like the more cycles we spend there mm-hmm. um, the, the the stupider we get frankly and 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 the, the worse the worse off we are.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And and one thing that happens through that too, like and it's sort of an underlying point of a lot of what we've been discussing here, is sort of like you know through like back to starting point one, right through that like you know sorting other in solo siloing, it's also like sort of has like a dehumanizing effect against other people too, right Definitely. like I mean, I mean you know it might not it might be indirect, but it's still that this idea that the other person is a monster that wants second graders to die um yeah. you're you're sort of on that point riding the fence uh, right between like honestly telling yourself that someone might not care about something, but also starting to view them as something like, you know, inhuman effectively or somebody that doesn't, can't even share the same sentiments as you. And I think that that's a very toxic and poisonous thing unto itself is like this dehumanization aspect. That's kind of a thread underneath a lot of what we've been talking about. And part
1: of what makes that so, so sinister is that we often dehumanize because we believe that the other side is the dehumanizing one. Right. Right. So So that's a circular thing.
2: It's yeah. circular.
1: That's the moral way we do this. You know, I'm dehumanizing them because they're dehumanizing me. Uh, but there's also studies, and, and one that I think is, is so so fascinating, uh, that shows that people, people on either side of the political divide assume the other side despises them twice as much as they actually do. So when we use the other side's hate to justify our hate, well, our, our perception of the other side's hate is not even true. So when we use it to justify, we're just inflating something. We're just escalating something that isn't even, it's not even, it's not even true. So, and again, it's another thing that if we check those assumptions with real conversations with the people who disagree with us, most of the time by far, we'll see, wait a minute, I don't, I don't detect the hatred. I don't detect the hatred. I detect the caring about something in a different way than I do, but I almost never detect that hatred. Right. where is it maybe it was made up
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and on that point about the dehumanization I found that like you know later the later part in your book where you're talking about being interested in the paths people take to get to their own views and values like It's kind of cool that in a way I sort of felt, and I thought this was actually one of the beautiful things about that section is like at at the heart of this is the idea that you can turn everyone to a storyteller and that's, that's great unto itself. But to me that also has the benefit of sort of rehumanizing people. And that's how we relate to each other with our stories. So all that to say, why is that, so crucial to you and, and to make a whole part about it to give people room to tell their own stories what does it really mean to make someone a, a, a storyteller because at a cheap level we could say it's all oh, you tell me a story okay well i i walked you know down the road and i bonked my head on a post but that's not what you mean there we're not talking about mm. you're talking about it at a more deeper level and i'd like you to elaborate on
1: that yeah so a lot of what we've done is we've made it we've made opinions all about reason versus reason opinion versus opinion we we can only talk about arguments you know, and that gets our guard up. That makes us want to win. Why not? You know, it can be fun. It can also feel existentially important. (laughs) We just have to win. But it turns out that understanding why people believe what they believe, if all you're trying to do is just have reasons compete with each other, you're not going to get there. It's not enough. Because each of us walk our own path to our views. And Oftentimes it's it's about sitting in, it's about putting on sort of the lens that somebody else would have. And the only way that you can do that is to hear about the path they've walked to their views. And and our language even even hints at this, you know, when we when we say, I see where you're coming from, you know, our language knows how important that is, how good it feels when someone says that to you and means it. I see where you're coming from. And most of the time what you have given in order for the person to say, I see where you're coming from is not just a bunch of reasons, right? It's, you know, it's not just a bunch of logic. It's, it's something deeper than that. So, so the question that is so powerful here is what personal experiences inform your take on this issue? And you almost never ask it in that kind of formal academic way, Mm -hmm. but, but you're in a conversation and you're listening for the ability to do that. The, 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 the invitations, even people drop, on ramps to stories all the time in conversation yep. oh my gosh yeah i know all about that wait what do you mean oh yeah no i've seen it yeah i know I, I i know exactly what you mean i've been there oh you've been there what do you mean i had one conversation with a friend that comes to mind that was about guns and um he, he disagrees with me you know pretty vehemently on some things and uh and he said well you know there was that time i was mugged at gunpoint what you were what right <laughs> Uh, tell me about that, you know. And it was it was an almost tearful conversation uh, for him to relive something that deeply affected uh, how he thinks about guns in society. And so I could I could hear him and hear his story and his experience and the struggle, um, and and go first go I never thought of it that way, and then go I see where you're coming from, right? right. So now I have this story where I have related to somebody's pain and struggle. It didn't happen to me but i can trace i can trace the evolution of his approach to the issue based on what he went through and i can understand at a deeper level how much i can't understand about what he experienced that day right and there's a sense of respect to that right that 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 gets across and the other thing that happens that i think is really important is when we move from argument to story we relax because our brains go from You know the showdown mode where it's like this versus this let's think 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 to the relating mode Mm -hmm. where now all i'm doing is is visualizing imagining in my head you know oh yeah that time that i was growing up and like this happened to me oh okay you know and you get to spend time with somebody else's story and so it's like you're they're taking you on a tour right um and by the time you're finished the tour of some memory or some experience or some some journey that they've taken um you emerge more more connected um and and more capable of understanding uh and that will make your arguments much richer when you get back to them um and it'll make the conversation again just it does rehumanize because because online man online it's gotten to the point where a lot of people don't just have their names as their avatars on their profiles yeah they have their causes you know right like i am monica guzman and this is my position on whatever mm-hmm. unfollow if you disagree you know which again makes sense people want to be comfortable but <laughs> we are not just our opinions right we're not
0: and I think that's a great place to bridge into and come full circle at the last part of, of of your book or part five, which you know is called honesty. And in the introduction to the book, you summarize it by saying, you know, you're going to explore prioritizing candor and clarity. Now, I I find this interesting because you know it, you know, it puts a smile on my face because you know some people who feel that they are very much part of the polarization that's happening right now all over the world or specifically in the states might say off the bat, well. With my anger and my flippant opinions or whatever they're sporting or just how divided they feel, they're already being quite clear and honest when they're screaming or raging or just very passionate Mm -hmm. about a topic. Um, Mm -hmm. If they they don't take those, uh, you know, on ramps into someone else's story, they might feel like, well, I'm not taking that on ramp because I've heard that stuff before and I'm going to be honest with you and I don't want to talk with you. I'm being honest, right? So, mm-hmm. what is your particular brand of honesty here exploring because I find this candor and clarity part um takes a different meaning in a good way from what people might superficially think so I'd like to hear your yeah. elaboration on that
1: yeah for for me it's a it's more like a priori it's honesty a priori meaning um that I don't know why I said something Latin and very obtuse but <laughs> but it's it's understanding i think that the the principle that comes to mind is that we if we are not honest together or not together sort of what's the point there's been so much sorting othering and siloing that we cannot trust what we've heard if if we're not checking it there's been so much conclusive research about the extent of misperceptions that we cannot trust our judgments of others if we are not also checking that with you know checking our assumptions giving ourselves that ability so honestly right to that person who says, I already know, and I'm, I'm already quite clear. It's like, well, I, you know, I would want to make the argument to that person. What if you're wrong? What if you're, what if you're really wrong? And, um, and here's a bunch of evidence for why a lot of us are probably wrong and for why you're probably not immune to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so there's that, right? So, so the honesty is more about, we have to find ways when we come together for people to feel that they can actually share, what they feel, and what they believe uh, fully and freely and without fear, um, which is one of the tenets of Braver Angels, which is a nonprofit where where I work that I think is doing extraordinary work in this space. It's a grassroots organization with more than 100, it's almost 100 um, chapters uh, across the country, all led by equal part conservatives and liberals trying trying to make these spaces. But we, we have to build that society where people can speak fully and freely and without fear that that's not easy. Um, people have to feel secure mm-hmm. in doing, in doing that. So that's where, that's where the honesty and the candor comes in. It's, it's, we can't see ourselves. We cannot build a society that sees itself. If people cannot be honest, then if people can't be honest, then then what the society we think we're we're in is, is a kind of projection and a big guess. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not really there, you know? And, um, and I think we undervalue the importance of understanding people's perspectives. I think, I think a lot of times we think, Oh, well, all I need to know is, you know, the events of the day and what happens right. and the politics and the whatnot, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. Um, the, the agents, the only agents with any power in our world are people. Um, what happens in the world matters. People's perspectives and interpretations of what happens in the world matters more because what people think of the world is going to influence how they act in it. And if we don't understand that piece, if we are grossly misinformed, as we are, about that piece, then we're not informed at all. We can't pretend to be informed if we're not informed about other people. And we can't be informed about other people if, if they can't be honest with us. Mm-hmm. So, so that honesty is so important, and then candor is honesty plus openness. It's like people can be honest, but still hold back a lot. You know, they can be honest about what they had for breakfast this morning, but they're not going to tell you what they really think about abortion. Uh, candor, creating the context of candor in a conversation, is about is about building that sense of security so that people feel received, not agreed with, mm-hmm. right, but received. There's incredible research into intellectual humility um, going on right now, and a study that really blew my mind showed that when subjects in the study were just asked to bring to mind someone in their life that tends to listen to them well, again, not agree with them, just, just receive them well. Once those people had just thought of that person in their life, they became more intellectually humble, meaning that they were able to um, invite other perspectives in To their own, and they didn't cling so tightly to their own perspective just Mm. because it was theirs. So honesty and candor is also really important, just for making persuasion effective in our world again. Mm -hmm. If if we're not intellectually humble, in 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 no way, right? Perception, I mean, persuasion dies, and we need persuasion to have a healthy society. Right.
0: And our, our time's winding down a little bit here, so I just have two, two more questions for you before we enter the formal wrap-up and, and mm-hmm. cap everything off. Uh, one one of my last questions is just sort of a tag right off of what you were just saying there. As far as this, this honesty piece and actually hearing each other and, and, frankly, everything that we've just been talking about today, how cr- – it seems to me that how a certain space or opportunity or time is constructed uh, is key to all this. For example, if you give someone a minute to explain themselves, that's just going to create tension and anxiety. Mm -hmm. If you, you, like some individuals and some groups and some other folks do, create, uh, you know, sort of a, uh, you know, so-and-so owns this other person with logic type discussion, Mm -hmm. whether it's a rally or an event, that's a type of space that, in my opinion, is not inviting, you know, different types of curiosity like we've been talking about. So, how, how how important is it in your mind to give people or i guess i should say concentrate on the type of spaces we're creating to do this yeah. kind of stuff
1: oh no it's 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 very much key uh i was talking earlier about changing the ratio that it, that if we can spend less time in the sorts of platforms that reduce grossly reduce the tools of human communication we have at our disposal to try to understand each other's meaning because that's really the goal right um that That is already a step. So so spaces where it is more possible for us to be together in person, spaces where we are con- where the conversation is contained to people who are actually participating in the conversation, meaning, you know, you don't have an invisible mass audience that uh, makes you want to censor yourself in myriad ways or perform your perspectives instead of explore your perspectives. That's important. Um, the more contained, the better, really. Uh, and that's why the power of the one to one conversation. People, you know, people start to be afraid of, man, if I talk to someone who disagrees with me on this and they turn out to say some really awful, unsavory things that will infect the world around me, you know, I'll, I'll have I'll have done harm. I'll have released these horrible ideas. Well, one way to mitigate that fear is just make it you and them and nobody else.
2: Right. <laughs> and
1: that way you can get behind whatever is so scary and you don't have to stop at the point that you think, you know, that a social media mob would come and 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 and, and, and shame you. Uh, you can go, you can go beyond that. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think these spaces, these spaces are everything. And, um, and because curiosity is the key, it's also about making sure that you give each other enough time to, to populate your curiosity, right. to, to give your curiosity potential gaps to pursue. Right. And so that means, you know, make sure there's time to share stories. Um, Make sure there's time to build trust. Make sure that you spend some time just gathering concerns, without getting into that argumentative back and forth where the heat builds up really quickly. You can get there, but but save it for after. Save it for after you've collected a lot of information and then pivoted to offer a lot of information about your own perspective. That's going to make just the that's gonna that's gonna set the table for a far more curious conversation
0: and my last question for you here before we enter sort of uh, the wrap up i guess is um is sort of i just want to hear some of your thoughts on what curiosity really brings to people as 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 people for their own experiences in life and the reason i ask this is because of the following a lot of people uh, that i've talked to personally and that i've seen written about even you know from the level of like you know casual op-ed kind of culture pieces all the way through to even mm-hmm. philosophy and academia talk about at the end of the day, you, you might be better off just sort of not caring or bothering with the issues of the day. You know, just about five minutes ago, you said the issues in the world do matter. And I, and mm-hmm. I agree with you. And therefore, you know, a natural extension of that is we, we, we as I'm speaking for both of us, we, we probably hope that people do care about these issues. But some say, mm-hmm. with, with complete honesty, that, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay to ignore all this stuff. Okay. But to me, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this as well, if you agree, this whole point of curiosity is not just something that you choose to do. Like, for instance, should I play, you know, Super Mario 1 or Super Mario 2? In reality, curiosity is actually something that brings you a more fulfilling life and an interesting life and a richer mm-hmm. experience. That's the way I feel, at least. And I just want to hear your sort of thought on that point. Because there are people who say, whatever, just just ignore it.
1: Yeah. I, I I'm so glad you brought that up. Because part of what happens with sorting, othering, and siloing is... As your world gets more comfortable, it also gets smaller. Um, And as you you move in spaces that don't give as much friction to what you think, uh, you deny yourself opportunities to enrich and complicate all kinds of things. So and now one thing one point I do want to make is that it is ridiculous that we live at a time where we all feel pressured to have an opinion about everything. Right. I, I think that's silly. And I think a lot of our anxiety is driven just by that, by, by the sense that, oh, no, because I have all these friends or all these acquaintances who care about all these myriad issues, they now expect me to care just as much about all of that. And you can't, you know, I, I think it's OK to follow your intuition and not not feel that to be a good person, you need to know everything mm-hmm. <laughs> and you need to care about everything and you need to have something about everything. You don't. Um, your intuition will naturally lead you to the one or two things that you care deeply about. You know, stay curious about those mm-hmm. and, and that'll be fine. But do stay curious about them. Um, I, I think that's the main thing. If, if nothing else, if you're if you're busy, scared and tired and, you know, you don't have time to just drop in a bunch of these hours long conversations all the time, then then just stay curious. And as you read about what's going on in the world, detect the assumptions, right? Leave the doors open and that's enough. That will be enough. Um, that way you'll be open when that opportunity does come someone sits next to you on the bus uh you know uh looking at whatever like Rachel Maddow or Tucker Carlson and you'll go huh that's interesting what can I ask about this um and uh yeah so so leave the doors open in your mind and 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 I think that that's plenty and that will be Mm -hmm. very very good
0: have you or braver angels ever thought about printing stay curious t-shirts that's that's
1: probably... Oh, the, you know, you've, you've just, uh, just given me the idea. There you I go. I'll, I'll awesome. buy one.
0: I'll buy one. <laughs>
1: oh, my gosh. I
2: want to do it. There. That great.
0: So I, I'm going to bring us to our formal wrap-up now. Our time has completely wound down. I, I think it was a, a, a great conversation. We've talked about a lot. In each episode, I want to make sure that the guest ultimately has the last word to bring everything full circle and put a finer point on our exploration of the question. So as sort of our formal official last question, I want to ask you, what do you hope, are the main takeaways for someone listening to you here on how curiosity can fix polarization. In other words, if you want someone to take away just one or two or just a few things from our whole conversation, if anything, what mm-hmm. would you want to leave them with?
1: Yeah, it it is. It is stay curious. It's if nothing else, practice curiosity one more click than you already do. If you tend to, Be in a conversation of some disagreement and jump in really quickly with your opinion. Make yourself ask one more curious question before you do that. If you tend to shy away as soon as you detect a difference, um, make yourself not shy away. You know, make yourself go, oh, you know, I think I think you and I might actually disagree on that. Can you tell me a little more about about your perspective? Just start there. And that's good enough. Just do one more thing. Get one click more curious wherever you are. And and that is enough.
0: And for, we agree with that at The Curious Task. We want people to keep on that curious task of staying curious.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Monica Guzman, thank you very much for joining us on The Curious Task today.
2: Yeah,
1: thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Loved it.
0: Curious Task is a podcast from the Institute for Liberal Studies. This episode was produced by Alex Aragona, Sabine El Shediak, and Eric Sege. Our executive producer is Matt Bufton. The music you hear on the podcast is by Lindy Vapenfjord. You should check out his other stuff online. The Curious Task exists today because of donations of time and money from those creating it and listeners like yourself. Check us out on Patreon and find out how you can support us and get access to exclusive offers. I'm Alex Aragona and thank you very much for joining us on The Curious Task.